Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. just approached you today and and said, hey, um, what's your vote worth? What is it worth to you to have the not only opportunity to vote, but what can I offer you to sell me your vote? Okay, that's a that's not going to happen, right? Nobody's going to walk up to you and ask that question. But if they did, what would your price tag be? Have you ever like, considered what the value of your vote is? Now, that's actually a different question. It's a different question to ask what's the value of your vote versus what would you sell it for? Um, the reason I bring this up is because there are some, uh, there's a fairly high profile, I'll call them a duo, fairly dynamic duo, known as Diamond and Silk. They were offered 150 grand to sort of dump Trump. Uh, and um, they say they, they never considered it. Um, let me just suggest that apparently their public influence is uh, worth, worth a significant uh, bit of change, let us say. Uh, they were offered a, a fair sum to, well, just simply stop publicly advocating. The, it was not that they would advocate for someone else or that they would publicly uh, use their influence in a different direction, just that they would stop using it in this particular direction. So, I mean, you know, it's a provocative conversation. What is it worth to you to vote? And if you... um if you don't vote, you're actually uh, speaking volumes about what it's worth to you. I mean, you actually think it's worthless. If you're, if you're not even bothering to participate in this incredible system of self-governance that we have here in the United States, I mean, if you're not even bothering to show up, then, well, let me just go ahead and say, if you don't show up to vote, you don't have any, any uh, space upon which to stand and, uh, uh, well, harp, complain, uh, if you don't like the outcome. <laughs> so so um, it should be at least worth it to you to be able to speak freely about the way you think things are going. Um, your vote should at least be worth your voice. Maybe we put it that way today. So what's it worth to you? What's it worth to you to put out a yard sign or stick a bumper sticker on your car or wear a T-shirt or a button or a hat? Um, and what would lead you to start or stop? maybe, freely expressing your political views. What is it worth? What would it take for you to exchange your voice or your vote? I mean, could you actually put a price tag on it? Um, $10, by the way, is the statistical value. I looked it up because I knew I was going to ask this very provocative question today. Uh, It is statistical modeling suggests it's worth $10. Uh, Yeah, it's worth a whole lot more than that. Um, Okay, um, in one other little bit of interesting news that might uh, pop across your social media today and be something that you want to be prepared to have a conversation about, uh, Twitter, which I know not everybody's on Twitter, like I get that, but um, Twitter is a social media giant, let us say, and yesterday Twitter temporarily suspended um, a 
a particular account, and it's the account of a satire site called the Babylon Bee. And the Babylon Bee, um, it's a group of Christian guys who, I mean, there's probably some women involved as well. Um, So some Christian folks who do a really good job, actually, um, in this area of satire, sort of in the conservative Christian slash political space. Now, if you can't take a joke and you don't know how to read satire, then you're um, you're not going to understand what the Babylon Bee is talking about. And in fact, sometimes people uh, imagine that the things that the Babylon Bee is po- are, is posting are seeking to be uh, legitimate news items. They're not. It's satire. It's a satirical site. You have to understand satire in order to understand it. Five hundred and fifty thousand people follow the Babylon Bee on Twitter, except that after their account was suspended and reinstated because it was like an AI. Whoops. We uh, it was flagged by mistake by AI because AI, well, isn't very good at reading satire. Um, so Twitter has acknowledged that. Unfortunately, when the Babylon Bee's account was reinstated, they only had five thousand followers. What happened to those half a million followers? Anyway, it's an interesting conversation um, about what we understand and what we laugh at and how closely we read today and whether or not we even understand satire anymore. All right. Next up, Nick Pitts is joining me. We are going to talk about our first impressions of the Democratic National Convention. Talking points, theme, who spoke, what did they talk about? There were prayers offered. What did that look like? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Nick Pitts. You can follow him on Twitter at JNickPitts. He is a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. Welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Great to be back with you. Good morning. It's good to have you. All right. Let's uh, just give me your first impressions of the first night of the Democratic National Convention. We are here. We're less than 80 days away. Democrats have opened it up. And if day one is any indication, this is going to be a campaign. Uh, The Democrats are going to solidify around the idea of, one, uh, restoring the the soul of America. And two, this is going to be a convention that really lays, um, uh, really centers on the idea of President Trump and really emphasizes the distaste of him more than the proclivity and the preference for um, Biden, um, Vice President Biden at the moment right now, was shocked by how uh, each one of the uh, speakers, everyone from uh, Governor Kasich, uh, who is the Republican governor, uh, former Republican governor of Ohio, to uh, uh, really to um, former First Lady uh, Michelle Obama, really did emphasize uh, just the distaste that they have for President Trump and how there was a better choice. And that better choice and that dire choice that what they would emphasize is um, Vice President Biden was really perplexed by that point. All right. So here's what stood out to me or stands out to me. Um, First of all, for a um, for a party that just one cycle ago literally voted God out of their platform, um, the not only the uh, the invitations given to, um, you know, people of faith, but an opening prayer that coming oh, yeah. before, you know, 
Almighty God, we confess that our nation needs you and has always needed you. Um, now, that is Reverend Gabriel Saguero, a Florida pastor, president of the National Latino Evangelical Coalition. Uh, he goes on to say, we pray for your blessing upon us all, Republican, Independent, and Democrat, as we strive to form a more perfect union. We pray for your strength, guidance, and wisdom. I got to tell you, that is um, that is a surprise right out of the gate. Also, I think a surprise out of the gate, um, a number of easily identifiable Republican figures um, at the Democratic National Convention. Those are some things that people are going to that's going to catch their attention and it's going to cause uh, it's going to cause them pause. I will say, you know, John Kasich being one of the most pro-life governors in the country. I mean, the the legislation that he signed for the protection of life in Ohio when he was governor, um, some of the strongest that's out there. Um, for him to be able to um, to advocate for a Democrat to be elected president uh, is is a bit of a shock to me. Yeah, for those that had ears to hear, there was no doubt that they heard signs of the divine and uh, and the invocations of uh, Jesus. Like you said, Reverend Gabriel, I mean, in the matchless name of Jesus is how he closed his prayer. Um, uh, there was there was very much a courting of evangelical voters. Which is which has been a especially for Christians is is kind of a welcoming sign uh, from previous conventions of recent past, and so you had the opening prayer, you had the interfaith service, which I know that some individuals uh, wouldn't necessarily agree with participating in or wanting to be a part of the interfaith service, but again, this is another one of those outreaches that um, the Democrats are really trying to reach out to these faith voters, specifically these um, uh, women, I believe, in the 30 to 30 to 55 age range, really reaching out to them with that. And um, I know Michael Ware, who served on the Obama campaign, says that it's got to be around 27 percent of evangelical voters. If if Vice President Biden can get that number, then that'll put him over the top. I don't know if it's the 27 percent, but I do know that there was there was no doubt that this was unlike 2016, which they overlooked faith voters where there were great gestures that were made to be able to reach out toward faith voters explicitly with invocations of Jesus's name and and utilization of God language, as well as just within the, the tenor and tone of some of the remarks as well. Yeah, I thought the emphasis on unity, the uh, the language of the soul. I mean, that, there's a real effort being made. There's no question about it. Hey, um, Nick, let's take a, ver- a very brief break. When we come back— okay. um, can you tell us what's going on with the Boy Scouts? Well, my goodness gracious, of course. <laughs> okay. What, All right. uh, that, what a time. Yeah. That story up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm living in the pages where I need to stay. Leaning on the promises to get me through each day. I'm finding Continue my conversation with Nick Pitts. Uh, he is a fellow at... Uh, at the Institute for Global Engagement, he tweets at J. Nick Pitts. Nick, um, bring us up to speed on what's going on with the Boy Scouts. Yeah, fascinating move by the Boy Scouts. There was some. Um, there was a, a movement a, a couple of weeks ago by uh, a, with a little trust within the Boy Scouts of America. They're trying to move some of their properties to another uh, legal entity to protect that. Um, 
protect that property as they make their way through uh, bankruptcy, as well as just some of the sexual abuse uh, survivors that have had allegate that have leveled allegations against the Boy Scouts, really seeking after some damages that they that have been done to them. And so this was seen as just a very just. Just sad. It's just sad. Uh, Boy Scouts has been such a formative institution within the American experience for years on end, helping men, to, uh, helping boys to become men. The allegations of abuse have began to be leveled against them, and that it's just sickening to know what could have happened. And now this latest move to try to protect themselves as they make their way, as they're reaping what they're sowing right now, it's just kind of a, a sad indictment of where we're at right now. I was reminded um, when I when I read about it, uh, you know, any attempt to ever uh, sort of hide the value of uh, of a material asset, um, you know, God knows what you're doing. There's no, you know, <laughs> there's no uh, there's no nothing that goes on in the dark that, uh, you know, that isn't brought to light. Um, and then, you know, I guess I'm I'm thinking in the book of Acts where, you know, there are those who try to suggest that the value of something that they have, right, is not what everybody knows that the value to be. So um, I I just I lift it up because it's an it is an ongoing story. People there's there's a ton of ads running on not our radio station, but there's there's ads running out there on commercial radio, um, you know, inviting people uh, who who are victims to join these these massive uh, lawsuits across the country because the victims funds are in the billions of dollars. It's um, mm-hmm. it's really, uh, it's going to be extraordinary to to watch the entire thing unfold. And I don't, you know, I don't want to leave it behind because I know we have listeners who are affected by it, and mm-hmm. um, and we want to be sensitive and gentle um, and honest in the way that we approach the subject matter, recognizing that the trauma done is real, and and yet there are people who um, have had really. Um, positive experiences with the Boy yeah. Scouts. And um, and so that's a, you know, it, we have to figure out how to have that balance of conversations completely, as well. Completely agree. So the, the, the phrase that's often thrown on us, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think we've got to hold two truths to be, just to hold them and express their validity. One, what has happened to these individual individuals is inexcusable and deserves punishment. There must be justice done in these instances. There must be a rooting out uh, of just this this heinous, these heinous acts that have been alleged. We have to get to the bottom of it. But we can also hold true is that these are institutions that have that have really played a pivotal role within the American experience to help boys become men, to help them better understand what it means to be a man. And I think we can all agree in this era right now, we're struggling to figure out what does it mean to be a man in 2020? What does it mean to exercise a responsibility to do your duty to your country and your community? I think we need more institutions that are like the Boy Scouts. But if the Boy Scouts don't get to the root of their prop, that problem that has been so persistent is what it appears as though of sexual abuse, then, then then they need to get their they need to get their act in order. And if they can't, then they don't need to be a part. All right. Um, let's uh, let's see if you and I can um, brief people in on what's going on with John MacArthur. Uh, this is sort of the should we gather, should we not gather conversation, and when we gather, how shall we gather uh, conversation in terms of the church and its place in uh, American culture right now uh, alongside the coronavirus. 
Yeah, so John MacArthur out, out at Grace Community Church in California, he's he's been one of the mo- most high-profile pastors to really um, challenge some of the lockdown initiatives that were going on. Specifically, the state of California asked, uh, really put significant restrictions on their ability to gather. And so um, uh, Pastor MacArthur has been fighting that significantly in the courts um, and got all the way up uh, to the California Court of Appeal, which uh, eventually allowed them on this past Sunday to be able to gather together and uh, there were not social distancing, there were no masks um, when they were able to gather. And uh, according to certain recordings that had made their way on Twitter, when when that was referenced within the opening by Pastor MacArthur, there was great cheering that was involved. But, so uh, it, it's an interesting move. Um, uh, and again, that kind of it goes back to kind of that that liberty that we have as believers of just because it's something that we can do doesn't mean it's necessarily something that we should do, especially during this pandemic right now. But we will see. Yeah, I think that we have a um, we have a judge in response to what happened on Sunday. Uh, just um, let's see. So there's a lower court issuing a health order. Um prohibiting from them meeting indoors, demanding that they wear masks, but then the California Court of Appeals issuing a stay of that lower court order. This is a this is like a bit of a ping pong in terms of the court case. So we're going to follow it. We're going to watch it. I think that, um, you know, we just we want to be mindful that while there are many, many Christians um, who want to be gathering in person worship, um, we also recognize there are many folks who are at high risk and need to be continuing to participate in worship services where there is social distancing, where masks are worn at a minimum in person, um, but that many who need to continue worshiping in their homes um, via via the live stream um, or the or the video components of the worship services that are offered by their churches. So we just want to be, you know, we want to be mindful that um, we want to be wise in the midst of all of this. And even as we express our religious freedom and our freedom uh, to gather uh, and worship the Lord our God, we also want to be looking out for the most vulnerable among us. All right. Hey, I have one topic that I didn't tee up with you because I didn't see it until this morning. So uh, here you go. Here's the surprise pitch to Nick today. So Kanye West uh, tweeted a couple of tweets related to TikTok. um, And... uh, (laughs) And Kanye West, uh, his first uh, his first tweet, which was the one that I saw that that provokes the question, and then I've now seen the second tweet. So the first tweet uh, is this: A vision just came to me. Jesus talk. I was watching TikTok with my daughter, and as a Christian father, I was disturbed by a lot of the content, but I completely love the technology. Now that's the tweet that I saw, and that's mm-hmm. the tweet that nearly 180,000 people have since uh, liked and 36,000 have retweeted and and nearly 10,000 have commented on. Now, for people who um, pay attention to such things, that's a lot of interaction on a tweet yeah. about nothing. Okay. And so the, the, the question that was provoked for me is, do we actually need a Christian version of everything? But then he came back with this tweet, which I thought was helpful clarification. Uh, we pray we can collaborate with TikTok to make a Christian monitored version that feels safe for young children and the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, moving away from the question of do we need a Christian version of everything to wouldn't it be interesting for major technology companies to allow for a monitored version of their platforms? Yeah, that would be, I I would be 
that would be very welcome. I mean, I, I've gotten on TikTok, TikTok quite a bit, and there are some, uh, you know, I'm reminded of uh, Job when he says that I put a covenant upon my eyes. Like, there are some videos that uh, I would wish that that wouldn't have been presented to me on TikTok. If you're familiar with the platform, it just kind of rolls into it. And so it's not like you're actively selecting certain videos. Sometimes they're just put before you. And, you know, I, I really do love TikTok, but there are certain videos that I would prefer not to have seen. And, I, and I've never really been a fan of trying to create our own institutions, Christians to kind of create their own movie studios or create their own uh, X, whatever that is, but, but really just to be and go and be in salt and light in two particular industries and institutions. And the idea of having kind of a, a, a Christian monitored where I'm not seeing certain smut would be very much a welcome option that I would be very interested in seeing. Yeah, me too. So uh, I like, I like, uh, I'm, I'm pro the second tweet. There you go. <laughs> All right. Um, Nick, as always, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You and I can uh, till a lot of soil very quickly because your mind is very agile. I appreciate that. So great to be with you, Connie. It's great to be with you too. That's Nick Pitts. You can find him on Twitter at J Nick Pitts. You can also find him at the Institute for Global Engagement. We'll be right back. Okay, so what do we know about God, and how do we know God? I mean, these are provocative questions. What do we know about God, and how do we know God? I mean, ultimately, the answer is because God has revealed himself to us. God has chosen to communicate through the general revelation of creation, but through the specific revelation of the Word of God, of the Bible, of the Old and New Testaments by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the person of Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about the revelation of God to us, we are talking about the way in which God communicates that he is, who he is, um, and what he has done, and who he is calling us to be. Like, it is about communication. God is the ultimate communicator. And part of what we do as those who are made in his image is that we communicate. As human beings, we communicate. So how is our communication similar to God's, or how is it different from God's? Would Jesus recognize the way that I represent him in the way that I am communicating in the world today? That is ultimately the question that we're going to ask. The book is Away With Words. The author is Dan Darling, and the conversation is up next. All right, so you hear uh, Pastor Colin Smith every single day uh, on Unlocking the Bible right here on the Faith Radio Network. He has joined us recently here on Mornings with Carmen to talk about the Open the Bible in 30 Days, 10 Keys to Unlocking the Bible book. We're also giving away five copies of that book every week this month. So uh, if you are interested in a copy of Open the Bible in 30 Days, go to enter to win at myfaithradio.com. We'll be right back with Dan Darling. If you're raising a teenager, then here's the first thing you can take to the bank. Teenagers will act like teenagers during their teenage years. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Your kids will make mistakes. They'll lie, they'll mistreat people, they'll stumble. But just because they mess up from time to time doesn't mean we bail them out of their consequences. The second thing you can count on is this. What you've taught your kids is paramount. 
the seeds you've sown in their lives will one day come to fruition. And third, mom and dad, you need to trust God's involvement in your kid's life. He wants good things for your team, and he'll never abandon you or your kids. Take those three things to the bank and cash them in. Someday, your team will thank you. Mark Gregston has more helpful resources for you at ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Vice President for Communications at the National Religious Broadcasters, the NRB. Uh, he served for six years as the Vice President of Communications for the ERLC, which is the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, Dan is the author of nine books. I love the original Jesus, uh, The Dignity Revolution. He's got one called The Characters of Christmas. It's really fun. Um, and Dan has also very graciously served as a guest host of this program. He's here today with a brand new book out today. It's entitled A Way with Words. Dan Darling, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, it's so glad to be here uh, this morning. Thank you for having yeah, me. It's fun to have you. Um, let's, uh, let's just start with this. The introduction of this book is entitled A Book About Words. First of all, writing is itself an exercise in you know, stringing together words in a way that's not only meaningful, but impactful. And this is actually a book about words. Tell us about it. Yeah. I mean, I've always, um, my, my whole career, I've, I basically, uh, have my, my job is to, is to put together words. It, it, it involves words, right? So I've been a writer my whole life, but also as a pastor, uh, hosting podcasts, working in communications, it's always about kind of the shape of our words. And I've always just loved I've had a fascination with words. I like putting words together, and I also like reading words on a page. And it strikes me that Christianity is a religion of words, right? We have a God who uh, spoke the world into existence. Uh, he, uh, Jesus is called uh, the Logos, the Word of God. Uh, we as image bearers, uh, one of the things that distinguish us from the rest of creation is the high level in which we communicate. Uh, you know, animals can communicate Kind of, but you know they're not going to. Uh, an elephant's not going to write a novel or something like that. You know, humans communicate. It's part of what it means to be an image bearer. And the Bible has a lot to say about the shape of our words. And uh, sometimes I think Christians think if the only thing that matters is that I'm on the right side of an issue or a doctrine, that is important. Uh, but also, God cares about the words we use to express ourselves. And so this book is kind of an outgrowth of that. So when we think about the challenges that we face today as uh, people in a, a really word-saturated environment, um, we, we probably live in the midst of more exchanged words than any—certainly uh, at any other point in human history because of one particular development of technology, and that is the Internet. Talk about, um, you know, sort of like why it's good and then what are the challenges that it, that it poses to us as Christians in the world today. Yeah, we live in this digital age, right, where with a few keystrokes uh, or a few taps of our thumbs, we can communicate basically uh, to to the world, whoever we want. And uh, in many ways, that that that's a great and awesome uh, development, right? We we can share good news about the gospel around the world. We can 
We can communicate with people that we maybe never were able to. Uh, it's sort of flattened things so that voices that need to be elevated can be. But there's also challenges too, because you know there's it's harder to have a filter when we communicate. We can we can easily just kind of say what's on our mind instead of thinking through it. Um, I am somebody, uh, and particularly in this book, that I don't lament where we are in the 21st century. Uh, God has called us to live uniquely in this time. Uh, but I do think as Christians, we have to steward this opportunity. You know, we're not going to go back to the 1950s. We're not going to suddenly become Amish. The Internet's here to stay. Social media is here to stay. So as Christians, how do we steward this well? How do we uh, use these technologies and use this access to communication tools in a way that um, really honors what the Bible says about words and shows a distinctly Christian way of communicating? So I'm talking with Dan Darling. We're talking about his brand new book, Away with Words. Um, this is really about how we engage on social media. I mean, that is ultimately, you know, the conversation that we're seeking to have. How can I, as a Christian, um, use my online conversations for good? Uh, Dan, I love, uh, I love that the way that even the chapter titles um, give a nod to God's word. Like, right, there's a, if you're a student of scripture, you are going to, um, <laughs> you are going to recognize, even in the title of chapter two, slow to sweet, slow to tweet, quick to listen, quick to get the whole story. Um, or chapter three, biting and devouring. Um, chapter five, more highly than we ought. Chapter six, act justly, love mercy, post humbly. These are, um, and then, you know, whatsoever is true as much as possible. I mean, it's really a good job, by the way, um, on on naming the chapter something that uh, is memorable and hooks the contemporary to the eternal. Um, I really feel like that is one of the things you're trying to help us do is to recognize who we are as image bearers of the living God in the midst of everything we say or tweet or post in the world today. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I do, I did that for a reason because I really do think scripture is very relevant to to today and, and has a lot of wisdom about how we use the internet, how we interact online. Um, You know, James writing in the first century did not imagine Twitter and Facebook and the internet uh, and a coronavirus pandemic or any of these things. But he did have a lot to say about how Christians speak. And I'm struck when he says, um, be uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. We might rephrase that as be quick to read the whole story, not just headlines, uh, slow to post and slow to internet rage. And, And I think there's a lot of real wisdom in the scriptures about the way that we use this wonderful tool that God has allowed us to have here in the 21st century. So, Dan, um, my listeners know that I love appendices. Like, I, my favorite part of every book might be um, the appendices. And uh, you have two appendices in this book, both of which are just excellent. The first one is 10 Things the Bible Says About Our Speech. And the second one is how to read the news. And so when we come back from a very brief break, I'm going to ask Dan Darling to give us a sneak peek into the appendices of his brand new book, Away With Words. We'll be right back. Be strong in the Lord and never give up hope. You're going to do great things. I already know. God's got his hand Continuing my conversation with Dan Darling. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Darling. We are celebrating the launch of his book today, uh, his newest book, A Way With Words. 
You can visit him online at DanielDarling.com. Um, all right, Dan, I love appendices. You have two really excellent appendices in this book. Um, one of them is uh, is what the Bible says to us um, about all of this, which is just, just great. And then um, I'd just love to uh, for you to give us a sneak peek into um, the appendices that's entitled How to Read the News. Um, this is probably one of the most frequent questions that I get, like, it, it's usually framed like, Carmen, how do you do what you do? Like, how do you even curate what you decide you're going to talk about and comment on? And then how do you do that? Um, you you really, that is where you start, um, that we don't have to comment publicly on everything all the time. That is a huge permission right there um, because we would exhaust ourselves if we tried to not only take in all that is being communicated as news today, but if we actually thought we had to uh, comment on all of it. So talk with us about how to read the news. Well, you're exactly right that we don't have to comment on everything all the time. And in fact, it's funny, 20 years ago, nobody cared what, you know, a pastor of a medium-sized church five states away thought about, you know, some national crisis. And all of a sudden, there's this sort of pressure that we have to have opinions, public opinions about everything all the time. But a few tips that I have is, First, do I have the whole story? This is really important, and it's amazing to me, people on all sides of the political spectrum, how easy it is to kind of just jump ahead and post and comment about a story that we may not have all the facts, but it but it confirms our biases, right? So it, it says something bad about the people that we oppose, um, and there's a lot of recent examples about this, and I won't get into them, but we have to just resist that. Do I have the whole story? Have I read everything? Uh, should I wait before uh, publicly commenting? The second one is the writer and media outlet trustworthy. You know, every media outlet kind of comes from an angle or a bias. But can I trust their work? Uh, are they known to be, you know, uh, good faith actors? Uh, also, am I willing to read news from a variety of perspectives, from a variety of, you know, c coming from different sources? Or am I locked in a kind of an echo chamber where I'm only reading news that shows uh, that confirms uh, my my worldview. Am I willing to hear bad news about my own tribe? Alternatively, am I willing to to hear good news or something good and refreshing about people with whom I disagree? Um, and then I I think we should ask ourselves: Am I qualified to comment on this issue? Right. So I may have an opinion about this, but am I the person to comment on it? Do I have uh, the experience? Do I know what I'm talking about? Um, I have a lot of opinions on a lot of things, and I don't need to express them all publicly, right? So if you really, really have an opinion about it, my suggestion is this. Have a few friends you can text and send them your hottest takes and ask them, am I seeing this right? And do that before you post something online and, and kind of make a fool out of yourself or really embarrass yourself. Um, can I say something constructive that will provoke a healthy conversation? Uh, can I do that? And I think we can. I, I think we should speak out. I think we should speak out about the issues that uh, are facing us. We should stand up for the vulnerable. We should uh, be prophetic at times uh, with our own tribe. Uh, but let's do this in a way where we have all the information. We wait. We kind of slow down and ask ourselves, why am I posting this? Uh, am I the person that needs to be doing this? And if we've answered all those questions, I think we should engage. You have a really good chapter um, in this book. And again, I'm talking with Dan Darling about his brand new book, Away With Words. Um, chapter 7, 
does help us prepare to deal with the reality of conspiracy theories. Um, and there are there are always conspiracy theories like that's this not new. Christians seem particularly prone to not only believe them, but use their social media platforms to press them out. And when a person is pressing out something that I know on the face of it is not true, I am then less likely to trust them about other things. So talk with us about um, conspiracy theories and how, you know, just it, it, it weakens our witness in so many ways. It does. I think so. My theory is, is that there, there are always going to be uh, conspiracy theories, even in good and healthy times. Uh, if you even go back to like World War II, which we look back at that era with, with fondness, and we should, but there were some conspiracy theories. But my theory is that um, conspiracy theories, belief in them rise when institutional trust is low. And if you look around our society in the last couple of decades, it seems like every institution across the board at some level has failed us, from the church to the government to the media, uh, to even our, you know, sports leagues and, and everything. And so when that happens, um, cons- belief in conspiracy theories rises. Now as Christians, we really should believe what is true. We care about the truth and what conspiracy theories do for, for many is that they give people a false sense of security that we are in scary times. We're in difficult times. And rather than just accepting that there are things going on in the world that I cannot understand. There's a mystery to life uh, in a fallen world and, and kind of leaning back on trust in, in a God who is sovereign over all these things. It's easier to find comfort in this kind of idea that, you know, I'm in the know and, and I know have, I've linked all these things together and there's a kind of secret group that's running these things. And I think Christians should resist that. I think one of the ways we combat conspiracy theories, because all of us have friends or family that subscribe to them, first of all, is I don't know that it's uh, beneficial to have long drawn out arguments because all we'll do is get frustrated and that person will still believe those things. I think we love people who believe these things. I think we try to gently confront them. But also all of us in, in the, what we post and what we believe and what we communicate we can contribute to the spread of disinformation uh, even in ways we don't understand. When we jump ahead of a story too quickly, when we pass on information that's incomplete, we may not believing be believing in a conspiracy theory about the moon landing or about QAnon or one of these things, but we are contributing to the distrust and the spread of misinformation. So we too have a responsibility, uh, as, especially as Christians, to pursue what is true. All right. Dan Darling has a new book, Away With Words, Using Our Online Conversations for Good. Um, Dan, the uh, the subhead, I think, is uh, is important. You're not just interested in um, me finding places to post online. You're actually talking about engagement. The, the word conversation suggests that there's going to be an interaction, that there is going to be an exchange of ideas. Um, that's provocative and doesn't always happen. And then also this idea that um, the the internet online conversations could be used for good, which is often not the case. So I just want to uh, to highlight those um, those notes as well. Um, let me ask one more question. I think that there are those of us who like word platforms on the internet. We like the places where words are exchanged, where words are um, uh, at a premium, and we like those. Or I like those better than 
those platforms where pictures are the medium, where pictures are the what the word that is exchanged. And then uh, maybe least uh, favorite uh, on my list of, of social media platforms are, you know, like video. Right. <laughs> so especially mm. meaningless video of like 60 seconds. So um, when we think about the way in which people find their places on social media where they gather. I do think that there are those of us who more naturally gather on word-based platforms versus those who tend to gather on um, like Instagram, which would be much more of a uh, picture-based platform, or those who would gather, let's say, on TikTok, much more of a uh, video-based platform. Yes, no, is it all the same? No, you have you have a you raise a great point. In fact, I, I do talk in there, particularly in Chapter 5, about uh, kind of the visual age. And um, I, I think as much um, promise and peril there are with our words online, there are, I think the same holds true for the for the visual images we see and flashing in front of us and what Tony Ranke calls the, the kind of ongoing spectacle. Uh, I think one of the biggest uh, dangers for Christians, particularly with visual images, is this, this um, incentive for us to kind of uh, curate a version of ourselves, and I and I think we do this with our words as well. But to curate a version of ourselves that we feel is lacking in real life, so we we try to um, play act somebody online. So, you know, Instagram, you know, we're I'm trying to be the super dad that's doing all the things right, or the super mom, or I'm play acting the kind of super messy mom or messy dad that doesn't get it right, or whatever, um, or I'm making these you know, bold political statements all the time. And I think under underneath some of that is we have to ask ourselves, why am I doing this? Am I trying to um, uh, find favor and and affirmation from a from my tribe to, to satisfy myself? Or am I able to understand that God loves the real version of me? You know, not the version I curate online, but the real me. And if if I know God and I'm known by God, that I'm free from the from the temptation and the desire to have to find satisfaction and curate uh, a version of myself that may not be be real. And I think I think this is a real temptation uh, for Christians. And I think the solution is obviously the Christian gospel that which frees us up then to uh, be who we really are and and not have to sort of pretend and curate this this kind of different image. Absolutely. All right, we got to leave it right there. Dan Darling, you guys can find him at dandarling.com. The new book is Away With Words. Thanks for being with us, man. We really appreciate it. Carmen, this was great. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate this. So much fun. Blessings on the book launch today. And uh, thank you in advance for coming back and guest hosting for me in the future. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.